Good morning again. Sorry, it's me again. I'll give you 10 seconds to leave if you want. Um. How often have you said or maybe heard someone say, I know I need to pray. Or maybe even, I really want to pray. I feel like a lot of us have probably said something similar to that. And yet, a lot of us don't pray as we know we need to. We don't pray even as we want to. So why? And I don't know all of the answers, but I know that it's not because we don't know we need it. That's not the problem. If you've read the scriptures, you've been here at church service before, you've here all the time, we need to pray, we need to pray, we need to pray. We all know that. So then why don't we pray? Maybe some don't have the faith that prayer works. Some are intimidated. You don't know what to say. Some of us just probably don't think about it very often. And as a result of all these reasons and probably a variety of others that we could think of, we end up with a weak, malnourished prayer life. And that's to our shame. I've definitely been there before, knowing I need to pray, really wanting to pray, and then I'm just not doing it. I imagine a lot of you guys have been there as well. Maybe you're there right now. The story we're going to look at today is a story that touches on what I think a lot of our issues and insecurities are about prayer. And it's not going to be one of those lessons that's just going to solve all of the problems you have with your prayer life, if that sort of lesson even existed. I'm not going to give you sort of a bullet point, here's how you need to pray. We're just going to talk about someone who had a lot of faith in prayer and their prayers were blessed by God. And we're going to use that, hopefully, so that we can see this lesson and we can go out and pray in the same way. So if you would, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to look at the story of Hannah this morning. I should say, before I get too far into this lesson, that the sort of inspiration for this lesson came from Miss Charlotte Sims, who left a note in my office like two or three months ago and said, hey, could you do a lesson on 1 Samuel 1 and 2? And I said, absolutely, Miss Charlotte, I would love to. And then I forgot for two months. Uh, so here we are, better late than never, I guess. If you love the lesson, you can thank Miss Charlotte. And if you don't, we'll blame Mr. Kurt, I think. Um, so in, uh, in these two chapters, we're going to see two very different prayers with very different purposes and motivations and intents behind them. And we're going to see that both prayers were blessed by God. And there's a lot that we can learn from that. So I think the best way to start this story is just to read verses 1 through 9. And we'll just get into it. So if you're with me in 1 Samuel 1, we're just going to read verses 1 through 9. 
Now there was a certain man from Methamaim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the other was Penina. And Penina had no children, or Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And we'll just stop there for now. So Elkanah has two wives. And every time, just about without fail, that you see a man with multiple wives in the Bible, it's going to end up poorly. It's going to cause some major problems And this story is no different. So Hannah is Elkanah's favorite wife, but she can't have any children. And she really wants children. And while that's an awful thing at any time in history, it's a particularly bad thing in the ancient world. Because those that are without children were the object of great shame and scorn Many would see Hannah's barrenness as a sign that she had been cursed by God. And the other wife, the less favored wife, she chose to take out her own frustration and anger on Hannah. So Hannah essentially gets bullied every year because she couldn't have kids. And it gets so bad to the point that when the family goes up to this yearly sacrifice, a feast, a party time this time of joy and happiness, Hannah's not able to eat at all. She is devastated. But think about this from Hannah's perspective. You are maligned by your rival. You were shamed. And maybe you thought that you had been cursed by God. Your your husband doesn't understand I always laugh when I read that verse when Hannah is like so broken up, she can't eat or drink. And and her husband takes her by the hand and said, am I not good enough for you? (laughs) I don't don't know why. That's just that's comical to me. Um, I don't know what he thought he was going to get out of of that. Uh, But seemingly there is no hope for you if you're Hannah. It's a terrible set of circumstances, but it's Hannah's reality. For her, this is a time of great rejection. Maybe she even thought rejection from God himself. She's upset, she's anxious, and she had no one to turn to. And I think a lot of us, or at least a lot of people in that circumstance, kind of give up. 
Because this is a years-long problem. He said year after year this was a problem. And some people would take that and we would become bitter, sad people because life dealt us a bad hand. But that's not what Hannah does. If you want to pick, out, pick back up with me, we're going we're gonna to read verses 9 through 19. So Hannah rose up after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk, and Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have neither drunk, I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And then Eli answered and said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. So Hannah, who is completely mentally and physically exhausted at this point, she chooses to turn to God. She goes to the tabernacle, to the house of the Lord, and she pours out her soul to God. She is so drained, she can't even get the words out of her mouth. But she prays anyway, begging for a son, begging for God to look upon her and to give her blessing and vindication. Honoring God and praying for him to see her situation and to act. And the outside, she looked crazy. She looked like a drunk. And Eli even thinks that, right? He, he walks up to her. And it's kind of fair if you're looking at Eli's perspective. He walks up on a woman in a feast time. And she's laying on the ground mumbling to herself. And you can't hear. And Eli says, get up. Stop drinking. But in fact, she wasn't drunk at all. She was just so dedicated to her prayer, so intent on bringing her trials before God that she had nothing left to give. But Hannah finishes her prayer and gets this blessing from Eli and she goes off joyfully. She goes home and eats and rejoins her family, which I think is a testament to her incredible faith that she has in God's ability to answer her prayer. A prayer that seemed so far off just earlier that same day. And God 
blesses her for her faith and answers her prayer. In verse uh, 19 and 20. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. So Hannah prayed to God and her faith was rewarded. She was blessed with a son and all was finally right. And I think that's sometimes where we leave Hannah's story. We talk about Hannah's great faith to bring this to God. And then we just kind of stop with Hannah's story. I understand why, because just based off of what we've read already, we have a lot that we could say about Hannah's faith and her prayer. And we'll get to that at some point. But I do think we do ourselves a disservice when we cut the story there. Because there's still a lot to be learned from the story of Hannah. And maybe sometimes we cut Hannah's story here with her getting what she wanted because that's what we do in our prayer lives sometimes. Where, uh, you know, how easy is it to go to God when you're in trouble and when you're sad and when you don't know what to do? When you're completely lost. Sometimes that's the easiest time to go to God. For me, that's the easiest time to remember God. I think for a lot of us, it's really easy to pray when we need something. And that's okay. God wants us to do that. That is a good thing. Hannah does that. But then how often do we remember God after we've been blessed? Because let me ask you something. We already know the end of the story, so maybe we skip this sometimes. How easy would it have been, practically speaking, for, for Hannah to just keep Samuel? Do you ever think about that? She had already gotten what she prayed for. God had already sort of fulfilled his end of the deal, we could say. She's gotten the son that she wanted so desperately. She's been cleared of the curse. She's been cleared of the shame of the world. How easy would it be to just keep Samuel? How many people are really going to know? I think that'd be a real temptation But here's what Hannah does instead. If you want to read with me in verses 21 through 28. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Now Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young." 
Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy, I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So Hannah does give Samuel back. She fulfills her end of the deal. And she still is, for all intents and purposes, childless. She has no son when she goes back home. And yet she chooses to give Samuel back anyway, to fulfill her vow. Because Hannah, essentially, she has her son for one trip a year. And every other day of the year, she's facing the same rival wife and all of her children who are with her, probably facing some of the same sort of pestering and shame that brought Hannah so low earlier in the story that she couldn't eat at the feast. And this is where the second prayer is given to us. And if you didn't know the story, if we didn't already read it earlier in this service, and I told you that Hannah offered a second prayer here, what would you think she said? I think a lot of us, if we were Hannah, we'd be praying for another child. We'd be praying for deliverance from the other wife. We'd say, God, I already gave Samuel back. I fulfilled my vow. Can you give me more children? And that would be reasonable. That would be okay. But what Hannah does, what Hannah prays here is a lot more telling of who she is. Is a lot more telling in the faith that she has. So let's just read her second prayer again. It's chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire, those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she, lang- but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king 
and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. And then Elkanah went up to his house at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. I find this prayer absolutely amazing. It's poetry. I mean, it sounds just like one of the Psalms. This prayer of great praise to God. Hannah rejoices in God's blessings. She sees him as the protector of the weak and of the struggling, including the barren. Hannah says God gives seven sons to the barren. You know how many God had given her at this point? One. And she said, God raises up the barren. She raises up the poor. He raises up the weak. God raises up his people. This, again, sort of flipping that we talk about so often, that God brings the proud down and raises up those who are humble before him. That's what Hannah prays about, about God's blessings, honoring God, praising God. And it's a beautiful prayer, especially for it to be after she gave her son back, when she's facing some of the same very struggles that she was facing before. Hannah praises God despite her still being in a rough situation. She praises God for his deliverance and for him answering prayers. And her faith is rewarded again. Later in the same chapter, says that Samuel ministered with favor, with the favor of the Lord. And Hannah would come and visit him and bring him a nice little linen ephod to wear. And then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife every year, saying, May the Lord establish descendants for you from this woman in place of the one that she dedicated to the Lord. And then they'd go home, and the Lord attended to Hannah, it says. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew up before the Lord. So it's just about as much of a sort of happy ending as you can get for Hannah. She is blessed by God with many children. No one can shame her anymore. God did lift up the barren and bless the lowly, just as Hannah said. And Samuel grew up in, before the Lord. And that's the end of Hannah's story. We see a woman very dedicated to God very dedicated to faith and to prayer. And she's an amazing study, and I could say all kinds of things about her, but I'll try to keep the rest of the lesson pretty short. (laughs) The first thing that I want us to think about Hannah is that when she was confronted with a problem, she went directly to God in prayer. And that seems obvious to us. Again, we all know we need to pray. In fact, a lot of us really want to pray. I don't have to tell you guys, you got to start praying. But how often do we forget it? How often did we forget it? Because when something comes up, you're faced with a trial. Do you remember then? Because Hannah here, she is mentally exhausted. She's physically exhausted 
She doesn't have anywhere else to turn to. Her, her husband doesn't understand. And she immediately goes to God then. I think sometimes, sometimes I think when I'm faced with these trials and I have so many opportunities to pray and to bear my soul before God and it takes me uh, getting a few blows in the face before I say, oh yeah, I should pray about this. And you guys would say, well, duh. But I think that's how we are sometimes. That it's not our sort of maybe first tool we take out of the tool bag, but it should be. It's designed to be, and that's what Hannah does. When faced with this time where she can't eat, she can't drink, as we'll see in the prayer, she can barely speak, that is the moment that she goes to God. And her prayer isn't long or elaborate. Seems to me that she probably is repeating the same kind of few lines over and over again until Eli finally interrupted her. That's a beautiful thing to me, that her prayer, as we say sometimes, is kind of short and sweet. That prayer is a beautiful thing to God. And I don't want you to think I have anything against long prayers. There's a place for that too. Hannah's second prayer is much longer. That's not my point. My point is... I. I don't know about you, but what I've been guilty of at some times is I try to force my prayers into a formula that every time I pray, it's got to be this certain way, this certain amount of time. I always have to thank God for the military and pray for our leaders every single time. I've got to make sure I'm praying for those who are traveling. I have to sit down, fold my hands, close my eyes. That's how every single prayer needs to go. We have a preconceived notion of what real prayer is to us. And none of those things are bad in themselves. It's a great thing to pray for a military. We're told to pray for our leaders, closing our eyes, folding our hands, kneeling, whatever you do. That helps a lot of people. They can all be good things. The problem is when we try to force every prayer into some mold that we make for ourselves. We try to fit every prayer into a certain formula. And if you do that, Hannah's prayers can't happen. Because in chapter one, she needed to bring all of her problems to God. Seems to me she's just repeating, God, see me, act, and I will give a son back to you. Kind of repeating that over and over again for a while. And we need that sometimes. We need prayers where you don't even know what to say, so you just empty your mind and your soul before God. But then in chapter two, her prayer is almost song like. It's very focused on praise, and it's very focused on. Just who God is. The prayers fit the situation. Planned in the moment, begging, praising, written out, repetitive, whatever it is, all of those prayers are pleasing before God. All of those prayers are necessary. And in Hannah's case, both of those prayers were blessed by him. So then why do we limit our prayers? Why do we try to force our prayers into a certain mold? Because I think that's some of the reason why we can become intimidated by our prayer life. 
We can become intimidated and not want to go to God because we've kind of set up all this checklist that we have to do every single time. Our prayers cannot be cold and distant. Not that they should be disrespectful in any way, of course, but we are called to bear ourselves to God in prayer as an offering before him. Our prayer should be open and honest about what our problems are and when we are in need. They should be a reflection of what we're going through in our lives. We sing the song sometimes, and I should have had you sing it today, but I completely forgot, so that's not your fault. Uh, We sing the song sometimes as the deer, and that idea comes from uh, Psalm 42. um, And I really want you to think on these verses and examine how the sons of Korah feel about God and feel about their life before him. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. And then it all sort of culminates in verse 11 of the same chapter where it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see what this psalm says? That no matter what all these trials and these threats that surround me and the enemies and the crying and everything, I mean, times that are awful. Imagine the lowest of the lows that you have ever felt the times where we could barely make it through the day. The psalmist finds comfort in his relationship with God. He longs to come before God, to pour his soul out before them, to praise him, to praise him. He finds comfort in praising God, not just bearing his soul and asking for things, although it seems that he does that, but also coming before him in praise. So then why do we try to keep God at arm's length? Why do we try to see if we can get through life without having to come before God? Not using this great tool and blessing of prayer that he has given us. Who am I to think I can get through my life without the creator? That's not what the design is. So the first point from Hannah's story is to stop limiting God through your prayers. Pray to him honestly, pray to him humbly. Let God see and remember and acts as he wants to and as he will. And the second thing that strikes me is that the belief that Hannah had in prayer, because we already talked about this some, but this is a problem she had been dealing with for a long time. This is a years on years on years problem. And when it finally gets to the boiling point in 1 Samuel 1, she's at such a low, she can't eat, she can't talk, she can't celebrate at this joyous feast. 
But yet, at the end of 1 Samuel 1.18, it says, So the woman went her way and got something to eat, and her face looked no longer sad. That's a completely different picture from how she came in prayer. When the time that she was so low and she had struggled so much, what had changed? What had changed in the time between she couldn't eat, she couldn't speak, and then now her face isn't even sad? What had changed in between those two times? Objectively, nothing. She still had no children, and she was no closer to having any children. Nothing physically had changed at all. And yet, after her prayer had taken place, And Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you asked of him, which to me is just about the equivalent of saying, I hope God gives you what you asked for. Good luck. The only thing that had truly changed was Hannah and her perspective. That's the kind of faith that Hannah had in prayer. That just by praying, just by putting that problem in God's hands, she was changed. She took heart. I put these two verses on the screen. First Thessalonians 5 says, rejoice always. And then I think sometimes we should ask, well, how am I supposed to rejoice always? And the following says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then very similarly, Philippians 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoicing, having our burdens lifted, finding peace in the scripture, that is, prayed, that is, that is paired with a consistent prayer life. We have a God who wants to carry our burdens. He wants to, as we say, take uh, take. Our yoke upon him. Our God is all powerful and all loving, and he wants to help his people. He wants to give you this peace that is above any other peace, and he offers to take our burdens through prayer. So let's let him go to him rejoicing that he will see and act. That's the kind of faith that Hannah had in prayer. As we talked about in my Bible class a few weeks ago, in some ways, prayer is limitless. Prayer is limitless. God offers us everything. He says, come to me boldly and in humility, and I will give, and I will provide, and I will save, and I will deliver. And we say, eh, I think I can make this on my own. Take comfort in prayer itself, not just in the blessings that you get after you pray. We are to take comfort in the very fact that God lets us pray to him. That we are allowed to cast our anxieties on the one who created all things. And then we need to rejoice in these things. We need to thank God, come to God with thanksgiving. 
Because like we talked about earlier, sometimes it's easy to forget God after we've already gotten what we wanted. You remember the story of the lepers? There are 10 lepers that Jesus heals. He recreates them. He changes everything about them. They now have a place in society. They are healed. Everything about their life is different. How many came back? One out of 10. And that one, he was a Samaritan. We would say he's of the world. He's not even one of God's people. One out of 10 came back. How often am I like the nine lepers? Maybe I pray to God for help and blessings, but I never actually thank God for what he does in my life. I never rejoice. I never, I never take comfort in what he's already done for the fact that I have food and clothing and the fact that I'm allowed to pray to him and just for who he is and who Jesus is and what he has already done for me. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of Christ Jesus in you. This is what we're called to. We're called to prayer, yes. We're called to asking of God, yes. But we're also called to thanking him and rejoicing in him. This is the will of God for us. So take faith in prayer. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. We saw Hannah say, My heart has rejoiced in the Lord. My horn has been raised high because of the Lord. I have loudly denounced my enemies. Indeed, I rejoice in your deliverance. And the final thing I'm going to say is that Hannah realized she had a part to play. As we said earlier, how hard would it have been for Hannah to give Samuel back? I can't imagine. Because we know the end of the story. We know that Hannah ends up with five other kids. We know that Samuel ends up to be this great judge and prophet and all of these things. Hannah doesn't know any of that. Hannah doesn't know any of that. For all she knows, Samuel could be the last kid she ever has, and she gets him one trip a year, and that's it. And Hannah's still willing to fulfill her covenant to God. She fulfills her vow. When you pray to God, does God find faith in you? Does God see that one, you have faith in the prayer you're praying, and two, that you're living a life of faith? Because if not, you're not fulfilling your end of the covenant. Hannah had faith in prayer. She lived a life of faith, even though it was very difficult and very hard. And he justified her before her trials and her enemies. We can't pray to God if we don't have faith in who he is. We can't pray to God if we don't have faith in what he will do for us. We can't, have, we can't pray to God if we don't truly ever plan on fulfilling our vows. Those aren't real prayers. Not that you can't ever have doubts. Everyone has doubts. Everyone has to grow in their faith. But God needs to find faith in prayer in your life. Praying requires living faithfully, fulfilling your covenant. That's what Hannah does, and that's what we need to do. So that's the story of Hannah. Two prayers, one in deliverance, in sorrow, and pain, and exhaustion, and one in thankfulness.
praising God for what he does, not just for her, but for all people. There's so much to learn from both of these prayers. I hope that this is the kind of lesson that doesn't just sort of stick as uh, something I heard on Sunday that was nice. Please take the time, read 1 Samuel 1 and 2. Really study it. Think about all that it says about what prayer is. Because we are called to pour ourselves out before our great God and then to rejoice in him. So if you're uncomfortable in your prayer life, if it's malnourished, if you don't know where to start, I'd suggest you can start by taking a look at Hannah, seeing what she does, seeing her very, two very different prayers, not that they're formulaic or multiplying words, but letting God see that she remembered, that, that, letting God see that she remembered him and his covenant. And then let God act and strengthen her. So, do you trust God to deliver? Oops. Do you trust God to deliver you? If so, let me tell you the Christian life is the life for you. You can repent, you can be baptized, you can live a life of reliance on God starting today. Maybe you've already done that. You've already committed yourself to being one of God's people. But maybe you haven't been super thankful for that. You haven't remembered to rely on him. You haven't actually lived the faithful life that you promised to live. You haven't trusted him. You need to come to him today. Come to him in prayer, trusting that line of communication with him. Pray to him and dedicate yourself to him. If you want to talk to someone about that, you can talk to me. You can talk about to the elders. We'd be happy to pray for you. Whatever your need, come to the front as we stand and sing.